You're listening to the Abolition Hour on WFNU Frogtown Community Radio, 94.1 FM in St. Paul, and streaming online anywhere in the world at WFNU.org. I'm your host, Jay Soul, and this segment airs every Monday from noon to 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you'd like to be a part of the convo moving forward, please send an email to jasonsoulabolition at gmail.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-S-O-L-E. A-B-O-L-I-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. All right. Peace. Hey, I, I told y'all this summer, like, giving y'all a lot of blueprints for y'all to dissect. So this is the first of many. And, um, you know, I'm just going to share what my blueprint for success looked like. It included ac- accountability. It included a lot of studying. It included... um you know, several elements, but, you know, I'm just grateful to be able to figure out a pathway. So my first blueprint for y'all, it's just, what was my blueprint to, you know, uh, a life of wellness? You know, we all define success by different, you know, measures. Um, Some people feel like it's the job you have. Some people feel like, um, you know, uh, it's based off how much money you make. Some people feel like it's based off um, whether you're happy. So it's like, I want to share my perspective. So I'm, a, you know, some of y'all don't know my story. So I'm going to share my story. Oh, uh, y'all can't see that. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to try and take less than, um, less than 45 minutes. I'm going to try and keep it at 40, 40 minutes because I got to, yeah, 45 minutes tops. Should have set a timer. But blueprint one was just my blueprint. What did I think I could do and contribute to society based off the elements that I was wrestling? You know, my kids always be like, why do you say wrestling? I'm like, man, I don't even know. But, um, you know, it's like, you know, I don't even want to, I shouldn't have weak father up there. I should just have... um you know, addicted father, you know, I mean, he was on heroin, you know, may he rest in peace. Definitely want to lift my father up in the, in a light of, you know, he gave me life. He gave me skills. He gave me amazing things, you know, and at the same time, he was really, you know, harmful in my life. I needed to wrestle through a lot of the stuff with my father in order to be a safe community member. You know, I know a lot of my people, you know, who run away from those emotions around their father or their mother not being there for them or loving them. You know, I'm grateful to see one model of what I felt like was success. My mom was happy. She was thriving. She played her little music, you know, go to work downtown Chicago. And, um, you know, we all had to figure stuff out. You know what I mean? So, you know, my big sister, Latoya, I got a younger brother, Marcus. I'm about to put some of our photos on here too, me and my um younger brother, but he's seven years younger than me. So it's like, we didn't get a chance to really grow together. We were in two totally different phases all of the time. He's four, I'm 11. Like it's a huge gap there, but um, I always love, you know, my little brother. Um, But this South Side Chicago, we trying to figure it out. We fun, we like to enjoy life, you know, and at the same time, it's the war on drugs. You know, so it's the trenches and we was trying to figure it out, but we were happy a lot of the times, 
and the trauma was real. Parkside Community Academy, 6938 Southeast End. Um, came in with a reputation. Kindergarten was, um, you know, tumultuous. I had fun through all my years at Parkside, but at the same time, you know, um, I couldn't understand why I was fighting. You know, it was like minor things. And I was ready to go to war about it. But it was just like, man, life didn't feel right, man. Didn't feel like um, we had any kind of refuge. Didn't feel like, I don't know, man. Just felt like death was always around the corner. Um, the same school, you know, I split my eye second grade. I was in a fight, hit my eye on the fence, split it, split it open. Had to get a few stitches right here. Uh, still visible, but, um, you know, it was just like gladiator school because we was all hurting, man. Nobody looking out for us and just trauma upon trauma. Fifth grade, classmates moved to Minnesota. Sixth grade, you know, one of the twins passed away. You know, it was like that was mad traumatic. They were in seventh grade. I was in sixth grade. And it was like, that was super traumatic. Just knowing they, um, you know, it was like super just sad, man. The trauma. It was a lot, but Parkside definitely made me. I had the grit. I practiced speeches, math challenges. I'm in it. But, um. Yeah, was always ready, always on guard. You know, I never really inside. I was scared, but you know, on the surface, and I, you know, I stood tall. And <laughs> you know, all of my stuff in school, like when I made mistakes, I always tried to make it right. I apologized, and you know, um, I always felt like I'd take my punishment if I'm if I'm wrong. You know, so early years, this was what fourth grade. Whenever we had hope, it was snatched away. I'm just keeping it real with y'all. Whenever we had hope, it was snatched away. All the time, consistently. He was the dream. He had all the energy back then, you know, trying to show us a better way. This was right before the holidays, man. Mrs. Miller said, can we all go out in silence? So I saw black leadership because my teacher, Mrs. Miller said, Please, can we go out in silence? I think Mayor Hale Washington has died. I think Mayor Hale Washington has died. I think she knew he was dead, but the way she held that and like made us feel like he could possibly be alive, I think, I don't know, man. I think she probably has to figure out how to break the ice for our parents. Because, man, every black household is talking about Mayor Harold Washington. It's a black mayor. You know, so if I was, let me see. So if I was nine and 87, my mom was, what, 28? So they was all in it. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't be in the city and not, you know, think about Harold Washington or see him somewhere or get some buttons and all of that stuff, man. Then he, you know, passed away, looked suspicious. Basketball kind of became my refuge. It was a fun game. Uh, you start seeing Michael Jordan. So it's like that attracted a lot of attention to the game of basketball because we all was like, you know, like, who's the best at this stuff, man? And, you know, I was competitive. So it was like I couldn't take no losses, man. I used to battle on that. Like, I took a few losses, but 
Y'all know I used to get down. So I used to hoop, man. 10 years old, I'm 10 in this picture. I'm the guy all the way to the left standing up. And we fighting the elements, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Theo, our coach. But um, it was it was rough. You know, we all came from different parts of the South Side. None of us lived in the same hood. Let me make sure. Yeah, none of us lived in the same hood. So we were coming from, you know, different parts of the South Side. But usually from 55th like to 87th because the this where we was playing, where this picture was taken in 63rd and Stony Island. So if you're familiar with Chicago, that's where this picture is taken. That's where the tournaments were held. Uh, I think we played the All-Star game at Kennedy King College. And that's on 69th. I, I believe that's where we – I think it was Kennedy King. But um, this was – yeah, this is my early development, playing basketball. And um, in the seventh grade year, I got kicked out. Made no sense, you know. Um, you knew who the the kids were who were, you know, um, more aggressive than others. I I didn't have that reputation, so I'm like, when I made it to eighth grade, my teacher recommended to my mom that I go to another school, and I was like, why would we do that? Like, this is my last year. Like, I'm really hooping. Like, I'm hooping hard. Like, phew. Seventh grade, you know, I had my confidence as far as playing basketball. So eighth grade, I knew I was a starter and I was going to, you know, like try and lead us, you know. So it broke my development at, at a critical time. So my mom's blueprint was, hey, you're going to have to tighten up and, you know, deal with being a new kid and deal with, you know, all of the stuff that come with that. It was difficult, but I graduated. You know, and it was a lie. That year was hard. That year was mad hard. I mean, a lot of that stuff was hurtful. Like, it was just like, you talk about classmates dying, classmates getting snatched away. This is 1992. Y'all heard about the war on drugs in Chicago in 1992. So, and I graduated. When I graduated, I, I put on a pink tie. Man, you had to have confidence, man, to do that. You have to have confidence to do that, like for real. So that just lets you know a little bit about me. I was always risk-taking, always. Went to Paul Lawrence Dunbar for high school, and I only went there because they had the grit, mighty men. It was a pride there, you know. Um, and You know, I came to ball. You know what I'm saying? I knew I was going to make the team. They didn't recruit me or – Watch me because the school I went to for eighth grade didn't even have a team. I just would hoop people at lunchtime or before school and I'll just ball you down, just <laughs> getting it, having fun. But I chose Dunbar. That wasn't even my neighborhood school. So I chose to go. It was like 50, 60 blocks just to get to and from school every day. So it was a major commitment. But um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar was a poet. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. Ooh. Hey, hey, Dunbar was cold. Die young though, you know, so my development in black liberation work, I had a grounding. I understood who black people were who did amazing things. Like, I grew up in the city, so I got to at least see Michael Jordan play basketball. Like, 
I saw things that inspired me. So despite how bad my I, I saw sources of inspiration all the time. Come on, man. Shout out to Jennifer Hudson. She's a dumb bar alum, you know. So man, love to Jay Hood. Uh Mr. T. Some of y'all know Mr. T. I pity the fool. That's Mr. T. Play football for Dunbar. You see those project buildings behind him? Like I said, always felt like death was around the corner. They know what they were doing when they built those projects. They knew who would be there. They knew it would be a project, an experiment. And when they saw the results, they just let them projects continue to produce the same outcome. Lou Rawls went to Dunbar as well, so shout out to Lou Rawls. Black liberation was all within me. Man, you know, we hooped, man. I lettered my sophomore year, 94, I was balling. So I had a sense of accomplishments. I had a sense of teamwork. Um, like I say, Dunbar was one of the toughest squads. I grit. When we hit the court, it's like you playing against a bunch of Kevin Garnett's. We all hungry. We all, hey, get them. You got them? Let's, like, we all mad active. I love playing for Dunbar, man. Freshman year was shaky for me. I ain't played to my highest potential, but sophomore year, I felt it. I was, I was there I felt against whoever. That was fun times, man, on the hoop side. But I was caught up, and I knew um, stories of Black folks who had prominence but um, we tragically taken. And um, that's Ben Wilson. Played for Simeon High School. And um, Simeon, like Dunbar Vocational School. Learn a trade. You go there to learn a trade. And um, he got killed. He was the number one ball player in the nation. Every college wanted him. You know what I'm saying? He was a big deal. Still is a big deal to a lot of people. And um, life was tragically cut short. So shout out to Ben Wilson, his family, et cetera. And um, yeah, so even when you dream, you still know the possibility. I knew I could get killed in the city. I was taking risks too. Think about the people who made it. You know, they lived on blocks where gang banging was prevalent. You know what I mean? They was in it. You know what I mean? They was around it. You, you couldn't avoid it. You know what I'm saying? It was like some of it was culture. Some of it was just exploitation. People throwing a lot of money at young black folks to, you know, represent their hood and be in conflict. If I knew back then what I know now, they had a whole play for us, man. We never was really free to war on drugs allowed them to do if you haven't seen 13th please watch the film 13th if you haven't read the new jim crow please read the new jim crow we were living in this time and we didn't have the material to fight against our oppressor we didn't have it so just look at what we were fighting shout out to everybody who made it man i got mad love for these people in these pictures man they super dope uh and i'll just say who they are common uh the brat if you don't follow the brat, you should. You know, um, Lisa Ray's sister. Um, Kevin Garnett, of course, Minnesota Timberwolves. Went to Boston, got the ring. Played at Brooklyn a little bit. Dope, you know, dope story. Uh, Twister, rapper. Now I hear he doing 
gun training classes, but he used to come here and rip it back in the day, just go in. We used to be like, man, this dude can ride faster than anybody else. And of course, Derrick Rose played in Minnesota for a while. The boy can ball, had some tough injuries, but um, could ball. He just grew up around it. You know what I mean? He was, he lived, what, a 66? I think he off 66 in Rhodes. So, of course, I'm not surprised seeing him throwing throwing it up. Um, I was a part of the culture. You know what I'm saying? I joined when I was 14. And I, you know, loved the, the literature, the knowledge of it, the science, you know, the, the diet. You know, when I joined, I couldn't eat pork no more. And I was going to be held accountable if I did. You know, so it was like that was a major shift in my diet because, you know, back then I was addicted. If I can get, you know, funds to get, um, what was it, a sausage biscuit back then, sausage and ooh, that was a good day. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, weaning off of that, you know, it was like, man, I can do it. So at 15, I already had the, you know, like the, the flow down where it's like, no, I'm got to eat no pork. I can eat this, this, this and this. But that was difficult on my mom. That was difficult on, you know, like the schools I went to because I'm like, man, you don't got a non-pork option. So my level of advocacy started at a young age, like just advocating for myself, saying, hey, you don't have um anything on Muslim. I don't, you know, I don't eat that. So that was a shift, not celebrating holidays. Telling my mom, you know, like Christmas, man, I was created to do the that was a lot, you know what I mean? So a lot of people had to grow with me and they couldn't understand it. So one hand, I'm into like knowledge and power. I'm into that. I'm in that world. In the gang world, you know, I was selling drugs my sophomore year. You don't start selling a lot of drugs. And um, I was losing myself, but I knew who I was as a ball player. Hormones going like crazy, like staying away from relationships. It was It was a lot. And, um, you know, my mom was on me, man. She found drugs in my room and it broke her heart. So at 16, my mom, 35, and um, it was 1994, y'all, 1994 crime bill. We have all the tools. I got branded. Got the gang tattoo put on my arm. That was revolutionary back then. People wasn't having tattoos and stuff like that in 94. Not in my hood. Not anywhere. And, um, you know, my mom chose to send me to uh, Waterloo, Iowa. That was her safety plan. That was her blueprint to keep me safe. Because it looked like, you know, by all accounts, it looked like I was already on the school to prison pipeline. It just looked that way. Because eighth grade, tainted, like going to a different school, tainted my, you know, my scholarship. People didn't see, people couldn't see, like, or project that I could do something good because, like, going to another school for eighth grade, they just looking at that intensely. But going to Dunbar, I felt like I had a fresh start. But um, when my mother found those drugs and when, you know, I had this tattoo on my arm and stuff, you know, she just felt like the best thing was to get me out the city because I was already in too deep. And I went there and balled out. Hey, man. 
Shout out to Waterloo East, man. Shout out to Waterloo as a town, man. They embraced me. Don't get me wrong. Being a new kid again, definitely, you know, it hurt leaving my squad. You know, it hurt leaving everybody at Dunbar, man. That was my that was my school, man. It hurt. And I knew junior year was going to be, like, just amazing for basketball because we was already killing, man. Like, we was, we was solid. So another broken part of my life, going to Waterloo, Iowa, learning their culture, trying to fit in there, letting folks know, man, I'm Muslim, man. I don't eat that type of stuff, man. I don't eat ribs. And that was a lot. I wore shirts that said Allah. So being radical, like, people know me. <laughs> it's like back then, you see, I'm under the – I'm in between the N and the E. And um, with the Afro, you see that huge Afro. And uh, the arrow is on Jason Loveless. You know, he was my co-captain my senior year. This is my junior year. Man, we were ready, man. We were ready to eat up any squad. I ain't going to lie, man. When we came through, it looked like a protest. The people sitting down are the tallest people, 6'6". Six, six. What is that, 6'5"? Six, that's Pedro and that's Layton. You know what I'm saying? Most Spence right there, they sitting down, they the tallest people. So it's like when we came through, man, we came to hoop, man. We weren't really worried about people. But, you know, racism is alive and well. Um, I ain't going to say we got cheated, but, you know, if anybody got footage or remember those years, man, 95, we was the best team in the state. And, um, I don't know. It's a picture of me in the paper. I got a towel around me, man. I think I fouled out or whatever. I'm like, this game, the game was totally wild. You know what I'm saying? When I got that towel around my neck, man, I'm sitting there like I can't even be in the game in the clutch or nothing. I'm just iced out. That stuff ain't feel right. It ain't feel like we lost fair and square. You know what I mean? Like, it felt like it was stuff thrown into those games, man. But, um, you know, my coach was racist. So playing for a racist white dude, that wasn't easy because I wasn't tolerating nothing from him either. So my blueprint always included strong advocacy and saying, hey, you better check yourself, man. I'm not against, you know, violent approaches to you either. Like, because he knew I was from, you know, Chicago and he knew I had been through some stuff. So he always used that, like, you know, what are you going to do? And you think you're going to be tough Chicago and I used to be looking like, damn, fam, like, you you want to bring some shit out of me that's not in me. So it's like, just chill, man. Like, don't poke the bear. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got real stuff going on in life. You know I'm ready to spaz. I'm not from here. You know, and I shouldn't say spaz. I see Lizzo got in trouble for that. It's like, I see it's a derogatory term. So let me apologize for using spaz. I got to take that out of my vocabulary, for real. Please forgive me. Um... But it's like, you know, I'm ready to pop off, man. You know, my life real. I can't see my mom. I can't see my brother, my sister growing up. Like, I can't see none of that. He ain't care about none of that. He just want to talk crazy and act wild. I let my team down. My Dunbar squad lost to Kevin Garnett by three points. We would have won that straight up. I'm standing on that, too. To Kevin Garnett or any of them. Shout out to Mike Newman in this picture. Shout out to Montez Brown. Love them, man. My senior year, I was trying to win it all. You know what I'm saying? I'm going for it. I got the energy. I got the skill set. Trying to lead my squad. We lost a lot of our height. 
You know, I had to play center and power forward most of the time when I really was a small forward. But I always been a team player. Um, homecoming, I'm throwing it up. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to the people in this photo who not here no more. Just sending love to all of Waterloo. You know what I mean? I used to go out have a good time. Signed up for the Air Force. This part of my safety plan too. Uh, I need to put money on the table. Like we were poor. We were poor, man. And um, it was just sad. It was just sad being being poor like that, knowing we worked super hard. But like, that was a lot. But um, signed up for the military because I had the soldier in me. It was in. It was already there. I was battle tested. I had been through a lot of adversity already. It's like, let's do it. I was going with my buddy Corey Taylor. We was going together on that trip, and um, I, I was enlisted March, you know, of my senior year. So just for timeline purposes, graduated. Was super happy through a huge party. We kicked it. It was like. I feel a good one. We had a we had a great time. Um, and I went back to Chicago. But they pulled me a few weeks before it was time to go to boot camp. I'm like, man, y'all saying I can't go because I had asthma as a child. I'm like, did y'all not see me run at Drake Relays? One of the biggest races you can win. I ran at Drake Relays in 96. So it's like, and I played four years high school basketball, never needed an inhaler. But let's talk environmental justice. Everybody in my neighborhood had asthma. None of us could breathe. So I'm grateful. I approach, you know, these conversations with humility. These are blueprints all throughout that my mom used or that I was trying to use to find a way. Like I just said, either I was going to be a soldier in the military or a soldier in the streets. So now I'm back in the projects, Parkway Gardens, I'm in some of the most dangerous spots you could be in in Chicago, and I always felt pretty comfortable. But, um, yeah, this was my life, man. Had nothing going on positive, just, I don't know, probably was depressed at this time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, 18-year-old kid trying to figure it out. Thought I was going to have, you know, I thought I did well. I never failed a class. Don't that count for something? It was the skin I'm in. So now I'm just lost. Coming to Minnesota, my friends convinced me. I'm like, I'm with it. You know, I, I could get away for a little bit. And um, yeah, it was like I had issues in the streets. You know, I was repping my hood, hanging out with my hood more. And, um, you know, it was like trauma upon trauma. I got shot close range, broke my femur bone. You know, it's like I had to learn how to walk all over again. And that was a humbling process, just really understanding that somebody tried to take my life. Like they wanted to kill me. You know what I'm saying? Like rapid, like the psychological damage when when you like think like, wow, you really, you really feel like you took my life because they thought they killed me. Holding all of that was a lot, but I knew I would, I knew I would find a way to get through it. Getting shot made me look more like a bad guy. I didn't understand that dynamic. I'm like, hey, I'm the one that got shot. But it made me look more like a violent criminal. So everybody like, you got shot, man? Dang, man, I heard you got shot, man. Somebody, everybody was talking about it in the Twin Cities. Chicago, too. 
Waterloo definitely was talking about it. That's a small town. And I was coming through there too. So it's like, I still was coming to the city and everybody was keeping on my story, but it was just like, wow. Like the impact of that was huge too. And um, through all of that, I was getting abused by the police. Gay just to my face, thrown in jail, throwing my friends in jail, tearing up our vehicles a lot, man. I wasn't no angel, but shoot, I wasn't causing harm like that. For real, that's a fact. I will own my stuff. Like I say, I've done bad things like selling drugs. Of course, I know it's wrong. Terrible. And at the same time, when somebody I knew was trying to get clean, I supported that as well. So my blueprint always included. Yeah, I know I'm caught up. I know I'm in it. I know I'm wrong. And at the same time, if I get caught with this, I'm willing to accept my penalty. The penalty never matched. It was always they want to throw me in a cage. If I like it didn't make sense. Possession of a firearm. 19 years old. They don't care nothing about a high school diploma, none of that. Workhouse time. Dang. Five years probation. All this wild stuff. I'm like peeing in the cup. Where I gotta go visit my PO, it's a lot of people visit their POs. So I run the risk of bumping into somebody who might want to kill me because the way it's facilitated, running into people on the elevator, looking at people like, hey, man, we're going to fight right here. You know, you're going to get violated. I'm going to get violated. But you trying to do that? 23-hour lockdown, man. 23 and 1. Stuff will drive you crazy, man. Slavery, though. Slavery. I don't know what I've done all together, like five years, six years. I don't know. Different cages, different lives. Like I say, some of this stuff I'm wrong. I had the gun. So, yes, I was wrong for possessing a firearm and being too young. But at the same time, it was for my protection. I wasn't in the commission of a crime. I wasn't. You caught me in possession. Why I got to go to a cage? But I was studying, y'all. Every time my brain didn't cut off. I'm like, man, what is this about? We in a cage. It don't make sense. I'm seeing people lose themselves, people losing family members, people fighting because of the stuff in the streets. It's a lot. I was always trying to figure it out. When I came home from prison, it was mad difficult, man. I didn't understand how they was looking at me. They looked at it like, man, you just a crook. I got a possession of a cocaine charge when I was 21. I was at my hotel. Y'all came to get me on a warrant for some driving stuff. They served a driving warrant. They came to my hotel to serve a driving warrant. And I wasn't even driving, didn't even have a car in a lot. And they snatched me up. And I had drugs on me. But to act like that's like, egregious crime and it's all of this that it wasn't that so let's keep it real the story got to be on point and um when i you know went to dunbar that changed i mean dunbar dunbar man i still got dunbar on my mind when i went to metro state um because it was that culture man we brought black black pride through metro in a strong way my advisor chuck mcdo co-founder of snick student nonviolent coordinating committee I think this is 2004, y'all. 
I met Angela Davis 2004, y'all. I got to keep lifting that up. Um, Julian Bond, what was that? Was that 2005? Yeah, 2005, we brought Julian Bond. Uh, Dr. Sam Grant, you know, definitely was looking out for us on campus as far as organizing skills, et cetera. Grateful for them, man. Yeah, man, I love for them. Panels on Black Consciousness with Dr. Keith Mays, Dr. Rose Brewer, you know, Elder Kwasi, my man Hosey. Like, we was talking that liberation stuff back then. So studying what helped Black people be free was important for me in prison, but also when I came home and going to school and, like, studying the criminal justice system while being a president of the Black Student Association it allowed me to be grounded in a way where I could leave that and still be a community healer. Even if I don't get a job in the field, I've learned enough about black liberation and the laws to be able to keep people safe. So even back then I was thinking safety and accountability and all of those things. Cause as a leader, I wanted people to hold me accountable. Being president back then, shoot, it was like all the twin cities. No, it wasn't like being the president of an NAACP, but it carried rank. When, when I was president, it felt good, man. A lot of people uh, rallied behind us, supported us, came to our town hall meetings when we shutting stuff down, all of that. Good time. Became a freedom school teacher. So meeting Marion Wright Edelman back in 2005 definitely changed my trajectory. Uh, Donna Brazil, got to meet her as well back then. That might have been 2006, though, Donna Brazil. But my circle was changing, my life was changing. These are much different photos from the ones you saw uh, a while ago. I was giving back to Black-led organizations. Chosen to Achieve was ran by a Black woman. You know, and I was putting my all behind it, you know, talking to the youth, you know, coming to see them all the time. And I saw a lot of, you know, myself in them. So I always wanted to, you know, inspire them and help them see how I'm navigating. Graduated in three years, man. I never took a summer off. I took five or six classes one summer. Just beasting. I made school my priority. I made it my safe haven. 10 hours in the library type stuff. You know what I mean? Like, going at it. And, um, you know, met my wife in college. You know, that was the beauty of going to college. So people think about college as far as the degrees you get, but I found my tribe. I found my tribe in college. Like, met my wife in a corrections class. And uh, the rest is history. You know what I mean? Like, I put family first. So when we talking abolition, it's like, how are you putting your family first and making sure everybody got their needs met, man? Like, my family in Chicago is still really important to me. The family I created, you know I love them to death, man. Like, come on, man. These babies are getting older on me, man. And since they birthed, they've been learning liberation. That's what Dr. King was killed, man. What, Janae was, what, three at that time? Real small. So, you know, it's like I always showed them, you know, what was important. I even sacrificed. Like I said, I was Muslim for most of my, um, you know, like from 15 to what I, when I stopped practicing, man, 30s, I was 30-something. Well, it was just like, you know, I reached a place and I'm still deep as far as spirituality, but um, I don't practice a particular religion. It's just like I'm grateful to the creator. And it's like, you know, when I got to talk to the to the source, you know, I do it in my own special way. 
So doing this stuff was like always corny, but you know, I'm gonna do it because the kids love it and you know it made my wife happy. So about the fam. I know what that broken home feel like. You know what I mean? Like for better or for worse, I know the feelings associated with it. So I, I put in extra time there. These are my blueprints for being able to be who I am and be able to show up in the world in a sacred way. Like I say, this girl is driving now. This is Janae, and uh, you saw pictures of Jalea. I'll go back. Jalea's the youngest one, and Jalea's my older one. She driving, and it's driving me crazy. I'm sitting next to her like, oh, my God. Took her to the State Fair. Uh, what was that? State Fair Grounds. Two days ago? Yeah, took her to the State Fair Grounds. Let her drive through there. Uh, she drove around U of M campus, drove down to came back. That's a lot of driving for a 15-year-old. She got her permit, and I want her to get comfortable, but um, it's terrifying, y'all. But that's what this work is about, like meeting everybody's needs. I got to be my baby's needs. Um, 2008, you know, started traveling the country, leading circles in jails, prisons, communities, all over. You know what I mean? Like really getting folks grounded and getting them centered on What's most important in life? How do we have a form of justice when somebody does something wrong? And these conversations were, hey, hey, they were a lot. You know, I don't bite my tongue when stuff happened. I've been there for every, all of it. Jamar, Philando, may they all rest in peace. George Floyd, all, everyone in between. Billy Hughes, you know, we got a lot of folks, Thurman Blevins. They've killed a lot of us, man. I'm grateful to ride out. Help create War Forgiveness Day. This was a blueprint. This was a blueprint that I put forth with the NAACP. It was solid. And people are still doing this. We cleaned up 230 warrants. And as a leader, even though I helped write the grant and jammed with the ACLU to make it happen, I attended all of the meetings and did all that. When the money came in, I just paid my squad. I didn't take a dime. So... True leadership, man. True leadership. Understanding that I could be greedy and nobody will have an issue with it, but I'm choosing to make sure everybody else get uplifted. So it's part of the blueprint too. Ferguson, of course, Mike Brown, we were down there. My babies were what? Two and six at that time? Or three and seven? They were small. When they needed me here, I showed up. I didn't even plan to wear this thing that day. But shout out to the Million Artist Movement. Um, I really didn't plan to, you know, put that ancestor piece on because I wasn't like I had safety duties, like to make sure no car will run through and stuff like that. So I sacrificed for the squad. So my blueprint included having purpose. Yeah, I went to school to get the degrees and all of that stuff, but it was like I wanted to use the law so I could keep my people safe. Let folks know, man, they spending money on prisons, man. They trying not to, like, invest in institutes. I'm trying to build an institute, Institute of Aspiring Abolitionists. It's an institute. I see the curriculum giving y'all, like, this is the first blueprint that I'm showing y'all. That's what's needed. Not more prisons, not more cops. We need institutions to rival the systems we have in place. Come on, man. Bertha humanized my hoodie. Come on, man. It's another blueprint. Making folks read it and internalize it and treat us better. Like, 
humanize my hoodie people oof but this is the picture that started it all i didn't even know i was gonna say humanize my hoodie but um i was teaching as a professor i was a visiting professor at hamlin university and um you know definitely had my eyes set on you know tenure track and, and all of that i was you know at a place where it's like i felt like i could hold being you know, at Hamlin doing research, writing, you know, jamming in that capacity. And um, I just said, hey, this semester I'm teaching with my hoodie on the whole semester. And, you know, I'm gonna see if it brings down my students' threat perception. Cause many of them are going into law enforcement or, you know, maybe becoming lawyers or things like that. And um, I just hashtagged it, humanized my hoodie. It went nuts. Me and Andre got together and rest is history, man. People love it all over the world. People send pictures from everywhere. And um, we just really want to create more leaders, help people find a voice. Like, it's important for us. I'm going to say John Ledger, shout out to him. He didn't have to give me an award. He didn't have to, like, lift me up and, you know, acknowledge, you know, acknowledge me on all his platforms. So I'm grateful for him, you know, to lift me up with seven other people from across the nation. It was pretty big. So like I said, I'm grateful. This warms my heart, man. This warms my heart seeing these babies be able to rock it and know that, you know, it's going to be a fight in years ahead. You're going to have to create your blueprint. What's your blueprint for safety? Because if you listen to, you know, the oppressors, they're gonna to wanna to put you somewhere where you working for 12 cents an hour. So I try and give them the real game. Feel good going back through the towns and everybody got on the brand, everybody loved it and everybody inspired. I humbly serve. That's how I'm able to be a part of the Institute. That's how I'm able to be a co-founder of Relationships Evolving Possibilities Rep. Um, that's how I'm able to be a part of, you know, the leadership of Humanize My Hoodie. I humbly serve. I'm not bringing ego to the table. I'm trying to bring my best, you know, and I ask others to bring their best and I know we're going to, you know, figure it out. I got a lot of values, you know what I mean? Like, we're bringing people home from cages, free fill events. You know, that's a part of, you know, like who I am. I need more people to come home. Freedom. You know, it's like we support a lot of people when they come home from prison, man. Like a lot of the women, like we're pretty locked in to, you know, like making sure everybody can like lead their own movement. You know, I always tell people, man, like if I get a conversation with you, I'm gonna help you be able to see your plan a little bit better. It ain't about, you know, me and what I'm doing. Like I feel supported. I feel loved. I feel like everybody who plays to the Institute, I feel like y'all got my back. So that's only going to empower me to do more of what I do. Truth, man. I learned my rights so that I can empower, you know, marginalized communities, communities that were intentionally exploited. Intentionally. My community was intentionally exploited. Formerly incarcerated scholarship. You know, like I bring people to class and say, like, come on, man, talk to these future cops and stuff, man. From a real perspective, let them know how the law really works. I'm about peace, man. I don't got no smoke out here like that. I might not rock with certain people, but it ain't like nobody trying to gun me down or somebody like hate my guts or, 
No, my relationship's solid when I come through. Like I say, I got people who I distance myself from just for the sake of like my energy and the fact that I don't want what I stand for to get tainted by what they stand for. Um, justice, man. Like justice would be redirecting funds from the police to abolitionist frameworks. That's the best thing we could be doing. That's the best thing we can be doing. And it's like, man, I got a whole presentation that I could go into on abolition. So it's like, I'll say that for the next blueprint, but um, let me stop share just, cause I gotta get out of here. What am I doing on time? Okay, I'm doing pretty good on time, but I gotta, I gotta hop off. Man, love and respect to y'all. Appreciate y'all looking at the first blueprint. So to be clear, I threw a few different blueprints in there, but it was my life's blueprint. How am I able to show up for the Institute? It's because when I was president of the NAACP in Minneapolis, I had a format to love and protect each other, to look out for each other, to be good to each other. I had that when folks were under my leadership. Black Student Union 2005, I had that. When I was in prison as a black person, I had it. I had to realize I can create blueprints, not only for myself in this work, but other folks to be fulfilled in this work as well. So this is one blueprint of a multitude of strategies that I used. I'll break down a few of them. Um, going forward, like I say, this is the first blueprint. This is why I approach the work the way that I do. I've been oppressed. I've been shackled. I've been receiving microaggressions. I understand how I was exploited in certain parts of the nonprofit industrial complex. I get how all of this stuff is moving together, the politicians. I worked in the mayor's office. The main blueprint I want you to take from this is, I never lost my integrity. No matter whether I was in this role or this role or this role. So blueprint number one, have your integrity in any safety and accountability circle you are part of. Be willing to be held accountable. Be willing to be wrong and say, dang, man, I apologize. Think about what you need if you impacted by somebody in the community. What do you need from them? How do we facilitate that so you have your needs met? If somebody did something to you eight years ago and you see them becoming super successful, you don't got to hold that in. You know, if I made you feel away, if I made you feel away, you don't got to hold that in. You can reach out and say, hey, man, I'm feeling like you ain't messing with me and you don't like me. And I'm open to it. So this blueprint number one, I'm going to outline, you know, the next 10 over the next couple of weeks. But y'all going to receive stuff in the mail and you also going to have opportunities to just hang out and, uh, you know, kick back, man. Maybe have some cocktails, food, all of that. So get ready, y'all. Blueprint one complete. I'm excited to get y'all at least 19 more. So stay tuned. Much love, y'all. Peace. You're listening to the Abolition Hour on WFNU Frogtown Community Radio, 94.1 FM in St. Paul, and streaming online anywhere in the world at WFNU.org. I'm your host, Jay Soul, and this segment airs every Monday from noon to 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you'd like to be a part of the convo moving forward, please send an email to jasonsoulabolition at gmail.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-S-O-L-E-A-B-O-L-I-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. All right, peace.